to step in and uh, teach his Bible class. And, you know, at first it was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'd, I'd be happy to teach the college class. And then last night he told me that it would be the auditorium class. So um, we're just all kind of taking of course, compound all of those things with the fact that he is teaching uh, on capital punishment today. Hold on a second. We've got some mics. But didn't everybody sit so far at the back? We wouldn't need a mic if you could come forward and sit closer to us. Can you hear me? Can anybody hear me? Sound good? We got, we got some. I can hear myself, but they you can't hear, and then nobody at the front can hear me. It's a really troubling thing. That's a lot better, isn't it? That's good. I don't like to yell, and I'm not very good at it. So uh, I'm only two years into being a dad, so I'm kind of learning how to, uh, to to raise my voice a little bit more. Um, like I said, this morning we are talking about uh, Christian ethics as it relates to capital punishment. And if there was ever a more uh, serious topic in need of prayer, I, I, I'd like to find it. Um, it's something that uh, maybe as a church we need to address, uh, that Christians need to address, maybe to have a standpoint on, or maybe to think about the bigger picture as it relates to the sharing of the gospel of Christ. So this morning, before we uh, jump into the topic, let's spend a little bit of time in prayer, if you will. Our God and Father in heaven, we come to you now and we thank you so much for blessing us with a chance to study your word. Uh, we are thankful for uh, for your word uh, and how it uh, provides for us answers with even some of the most gruesome and serious topics. Uh, Father, we are thankful that you've provided us your perspective, which is the only perspective that matters uh, in the world that we live in and uh, in, in the way that we should lead uh, our lives and in, in learning from you. Uh, be with us now as we study. Uh, help us to have open hearts to what you've provided for us in Scripture. Um, help us to think about uh, the impact that, that perhaps capital punishment has uh, on the church and, and more importantly on, on, on how uh, we are to serve you in spreading the word. Father, we have those who are on our hearts and minds this morning that are in need of prayers. We pray that you bless them uh, with good health, with healing. We pray for those who are going through uh, personal tough times like the Camp family. Uh, we pray that, that Billy and Shelby are comforted, that uh, Billy's mother and grandmother are comforted at this time in the loss of his grandfather. Uh, bless them and help us as a church, as people who genuinely care about them, to uh, help share your love and comfort uh, with them. Father, thank you for everything that you do for us, and we're most of all thankful for your son, Jesus. Uh, we're thankful for uh, the life that he led and, and the sacrifice that he gave uh, for our sins. Be with us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so it's my understanding that uh, you know that, that y'all are working through a couple of these different Christian ethical issues, and I don't know if we'll be able to do a lot more feedback, give and take, because one, I don't hear very well, and now I'm very far away from you. 
Um, but uh, if, if you have a comment, of course, I want to hear it, uh, share it with me, say it as loudly as you possibly can, especially for those that are at the back of the auditorium, and I'll do my best to, uh, to translate it and share it with, uh, with everyone who, uh, who wasn't able to hear it. Um, I want to begin by kind of giving you an idea of not my stance, but my experience with capital punishment. Like uh, maybe a few others in this room, uh, we have been asked uh, to have a stance on capital punishment. For the first couple of years of my uh, practice as an attorney, I worked for a district attorney who made national headlines for single-handedly having, uh, I think, the most men and women on death row for uh, capital crimes. In fact, from the years 2010 to 2015, uh, she put uh, Mobile County in the top five of all counties throughout this country uh, with people who were on death row. And whenever I interviewed with her for the job, uh, that was the main question she had. That's something that she was serious about, that she had won a lot of awards for, uh, is what is my stance uh, on capital punishment? Now, whenever we're talking about capital punishment, there's a distinction because there are two kinds of capital punishment within this state. One, of course, is a sentence of life without parole. That is a capital sentence. And then the alternative is the one that I think that, that causes the most issues, the most questions in Christian ethics, um, the death penalty. And uh, that was the one that she wanted to hear my perspective on because you know, throughout the entire interview, I, I made it clear that, that more than anything, uh, my perspective was a Christian perspective. And so she asked, you know, if you had to stand before a congregation just like this and talk about uh, the death penalty, what would you tell them? And so hopefully as we look through Scripture, we find not what my perspective is, not what your perspective is or any preconceived notions, but what God's actual perspective is on this issue. Because, you know, frankly, like I was saying at the beginning, um, its implications uh are great when it comes to sharing the gospel of Christ. When it comes to capital punishment and willingly saying that somebody should be put to death, there is a great implication with how do we get the gospel to that person. And uh, so I don't want to take this lightly. I want to um, be as, as honest and straightforward and serious as possible about it. Um, and to do that, I think we've got to answer a couple of different questions and address a couple of different questions that come up with this particular topic. Um, the first one is this, and, and I actually wouldn't mind seeing a show of hands, and we'll break it up uh, and to be able to better understand it. Question number one, do you universally support the state's youth use of the death penalty? Do you universally support the state's use of the death penalty? For all who are in favor of that, please raise your hands. Universally support the state's use of the death penalty. Okay, now for those who are, do not universally support the state's use of the death penalty. Okay, so I think the numbers are a little bit stronger in favor of the state's universal use of the death penalty. But the question is, how, universal do you, how universally do you believe that? How, how universal is your stance on that? Let me ask you this. Uh, for those who, who are raising their hand, go ahead and raise them again if you're in favor of the death penalty. Uh, what if the state decides to start punishing uh, all robberies with the death penalty? You still in favor of that? Okay, some people are still in favor of it. It's a pretty serious crime, and especially if we're putting it in the context of using a deadly weapon in order to affect a robbery. What about this? What about 
um, I don't know, a, a burglary. Still feel the same way breaking into somebody's house? What about, I don't know, what about uh, if the person is, I don't know, 16 years old? You still feel like that? What if the person has had a history of mental health issues? What if we change the law uh, and apply it to different contexts? If we're saying that universally we believe in the death penalty, what if the government decides, because this is the country we live in that's built on democracy, and sometimes democracy is mob-led, and the mob, when it gets big enough, decides that it would like to uh, impose penalties on minority groups. What happens if Christians become the minority in this country and everybody in the rest of the country decides that, hey, we don't really care for people to go to church anymore. And in fact, if you go to church, we would like you to be put to death. How many people who were universally in favor of the state's use of the death penalty still believe that? See, the problem whenever we approach certain arguments and the way that we portray ourselves as Christians, and this is the impact and, and implication it has on the gospel, is we are quick to say, yes, I universally support something, especially a, an issue that we think is very serious. You know, somebody murders somebody else with some kind of aggravating circumstance using a deadly weapon or during the commission of some very violent crime or, you know, has previously been convicted of a very serious violent felony. Sure, maybe in those contexts we're very in favor of it. But we have to be careful with the statements that we use and the things that we will agree to uh, because of the impact it has on the gospel. Whenever we say we universally believe in the death penalty, well, sometimes the law changes. Sometimes the target of the law changes, and those who are universally in favor of a death penalty are now advocating for their own death if we change the law to impact, I don't know, groups like uh, Christians. What happens if, for some reason, you know, uh, ISIS, if it still exists, creates its caliphate right here in the United States and outlaws Christianity? You are the target of it. You are the target of it. And so it's important to be careful with the universality of our beliefs when it comes to the death penalty. Uh, and instead, it's more important to focus on the things that God has asked us to focus on. The second question is this. How universal, and this is where we'll spend the majority of our time, how universal is Scripture's support for the death penalty? And does Scripture universally support the death penalty? We'll break it down in two different ways. Uh, obviously, the New Testament versus the Old Testament. Let's look over in the Old Testament to, to be able to break this down. Um, turn over first. Let's look at Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 16. Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 16. Exodus 21, verses 12 through 16. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I put for you to a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another man to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and is found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Now God, uh, seemingly, when he's issuing these edicts, is very in favor of the death penalty. But he's fairly specific. 
Look over at uh, chapter 22, verses 18 through 24. 18 through 24. Uh, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. So anybody that uh, is practicing tarot card reading in the church, if you were back there in Judaism, out of luck. Verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. That sounds about right. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone, you shall, shall be devoted to to destruction, And if you look at the word there, I'm sure you've got a little notation um, at the bottom of your Bible. But uh, it, uh, you know, it's set apart as an offering for the Lord, meaning the Lord would destroy that person. And you should prepare for that. Verse 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat a widow or fatherless child. If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword, and your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. And repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, we see God's wrath upon people. Look over at 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3. Even outside of the law, God is continuing to issue uh, edicts that the death penalty uh, is, is valid within his kingdom. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3. Now go and strike... Amleth, and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, there is a perspective uh, that the Old Testament gives us precedent for uh, invoking and using the death penalty. You know, and perhaps the argument is this, that uh, in the Old Testament, God authorized the death penalty. We know from Scripture that God does not change. Therefore, God still is in favor of the death penalty. That's generally the, the syllogism that would be used in the context of the death penalty. Um, but is that satisfactory to you? Does that sound like a, a sound argument in all contexts? It seems to me to be uh, more or less a little bit of cherry-picking uh, to be able to come up with that conclusion. Because there are other contexts that certainly this church does not believe some of the Old Testament applies to the New Testament. God in the Old Testament authorized the sacrifice of animals so that sins would be put off, that his wrath would be put off. God doesn't change. What would be the conclusion? That God still wants us to sacrifice animals? That doesn't make any sense. What about in the context of David who danced and used a harp to play for the Lord and praise him? God authorized David to sing and play that instrument and dance before him. God does not change. Does God still authorize us to dance and sing to praise him? You know, again, we don't stand for that. We know scriptures in the New Testament teaches otherwise. So it seems to me odd that uh, the Christian perspective would rely so heavily on an Old Testament precedent when the context has changed, when in the law of Christ we're saved by faith, not by works through law, not by sacrificing animals, that uh, in Colossians 3 and verse 16, Ephesians 5 and verse 19, we have been given strict authorization to sing to praise God, not dance with instruments. So whenever we approach this issue, if we our first pivot is to say, hey, you know, somebody asks you, do you believe in capital punishment? Maybe, you know, you, you do. But if our first stance is to jump into the Old Testament, we need to approach it with caution because there immediately is a rebuttal to everything that we're saying. And then that's what's important as it relates to 
the sharing of the gospel? Is the Christian stance valid if the Christian stance is inconsistent with its own teachings? It can't be. And so we have to be concerned and focused on that which is consistent. Um, but how does the New Testament respond to the Old Testament? I think it's important to bring this part up. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through 25. Galatians chapter 23, or excuse me, 3, verse 23 through 25. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you have been put uh, for as many of you who has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we know uh, very clearly that the law, which once authorized the death penalty for so many different things. I mean, it seems like, you know, if you were an Israelite, you couldn't sneeze wrong without uh, risking being put to death. Uh, but we know that that is no longer the case in Christ because Christ has freed us from the law. Freed us from the law. What do you think? Does anybody have, I mean, comments uh, about uh, this issue of the Old Testament authorizing death penalty? Yeah, Brother Jim. <laughs> and I think that's perfectly right and transitions to uh, the idea of the way the New Testament approaches uh, the power of the government. What, what uh, Brother Jim was saying, if you weren't able to hear him, is that you know, it's, it's less about uh, the actions uh, and the penalties, but more focused on the respect of God. Because within the kingdom of God, God is totally... Uh, Authoritative. Everything that he says is the law, and that's the way things should be. And every penalty for breaking those laws is, one, not just a, a sin itself, but is a direct action against God. It's treason against God, and thus the penalty for death uh, is seemingly justified because respect for God is the most important thing. And that transitions us, I think, pretty seamlessly into Romans chapter 13, the uh, almost the Christian perspective on the government. Romans chapter 13 
We'll start reading in verse 1 and read, um, you know, all the way really through verse 7, I think is an appropriate uh, context there. Um, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, uh, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Uh, from what I can tell, for the most part, when it comes to uh, the authority that Scripture provides for the death penalty, I think this lays out effectively what... Uh, what Christ may have had in mind, what the Spirit have in mind, had in mind in inspiring Paul to write these things. Um, so what is he saying here? What is he saying? That uh, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. Now, um, what is that not saying? Well, really, it's not saying what your individual perspective uh, is as a Christian. Uh, what it's saying is that God is in charge. God is sovereign. He has created governing powers in order to make sure that justice in whatever form we can make it happen in this broken world can happen, that we just don't have anarchy running around. But God has instituted government in order to make sure that uh, that people don't just steal from each other without any kind of cause of action, that if somebody does steal from you, you don't have just this inherent right to go and murder that person. Uh, it keeps people uh, together. It keeps people from, from doing these things that maybe by nature uh, or by choice or by chaos uh, would lead to more damage. Yeah, Jim. Right, uh, and, and Jim's exactly right that it's not uh, an issue of, um, you know, hey, this is this is how uh, Christians what what stance you should take, but this is the thing to to just observe that government does have power, and of course we know that God institutes government. If you think back to the book of Daniel, you've got Daniel prophesying or being given visions of different governments coming and going. He's got uh, visions of the Medes and Persians coming together. He's got uh, visions of, of the, the goat with the horn coming out of its head representing Greece. He's got visions of an even greater empire that would come after it that would be Rome. And the reason that he's able to have these visions and them to come true is God had a significant role in making sure that these things happened because this is the way um, uh, that God would be able to bring about the Messiah, that God would be able to uh, save all of mankind, is that these governments could exist, but also to keep uh, everything in subjection, to make sure that things didn't get out of control. Now, what this is not saying 
What this is not saying is that you have to support the death penalty, that you have to advocate for it, or that you have to advocate against it. What Paul is clearly saying is this is the government's responsibility. God has instituted that government. And your responsibility, in the same way that he lays out that you need to be um, subject to your elders, in the way that he lays out that you must be a living sacrifice to God, you must be subject to those people, because this is the good Christian stance. This is what uh, brings favor uh, in the eyes of government as he lays out there in, uh, in verse four, uh, 3 and 4. Um, the question that, that comes to mind whenever I'm looking at this passage is, does Paul believe in exceptions to his own statement? Now, there have been a lot of people uh, throughout history um, who, of course, claimed uh, Christianity as their faith that, that believe that, that there are exceptions uh, to Paul's statement. Now, certainly, our entire country was founded by people who believe that, right? You know, there, you've got uh, British colonists who are living here in this side of the world who are being subject to tyranny. And what do they do? They rise up against it. Now, that doesn't seem to be subject, right? So there has to be an exception. And the philosophy behind the exception is that if God instituted this power, and the power is not being used for good, then it must not be from God. This is something that Thomas Aquinas wrote about uh, many years ago, uh, back in, I don't even remember when he was alive, a long, long, long time ago, um, stating that uh, that exact thing, that, that a just law, and it's something that, that Martin Luther King would later say, that a just law is one that comes from a ruler that has a good thing in mind that he wants the community to exist for good and good things and happiness to happen for the community. But the moment that the man transitions into becoming a tyrant, the moment that he starts inflicting unreasonable and uh, he calls it exceptional uh, damage to his people, then it must be that he is no longer being the ruler that God instituted, but is one that can be removed. Now, there are certain uh, ways that, that rulers can be removed. In our country, we have a little bit of an easier chance of doing it, and that's uh, voting them out. But in other contexts where one uh, is by birth the ruler, well, then uh, from the perspective of those who began this country, that person has to be taken by force, for there's no other way. In a similar fashion, Martin Luther King uh, created, and, and, and not created, but acknowledged an exception that uh, only laws are laws if they're just. If it is not a just law, then it's no law at all and it's not one that needs to be followed. So in the context of Paul, you have what people believe are exceptions, that if someone becomes a tyrant and is killing you for no good reason, or if the death penalty, uh, to be more specific to our text, uh, is being used for no good reason or no just reason, then it shouldn't be used at all. And the things that have been penalized are, are not actions that you have to worry about, you know, this issue of God's wrath that comes from Paul. But does Paul... Does he really believe that? Do you think you get that from, from this text, that, that he believes in exceptions? Did Paul ever draw a sword whenever he was wrongfully accused by the Jews for being, um, you know, for teaching things that were contrary to their law? Did he do it? Now look over in Acts chapter 25. I love uh, the way that Acts lays out uh, alongside Paul's uh, letters um, because it gives a little bit of context, I think, what he's going through. Um, Acts chapter 25, let's read verses 6 through 12. 
Acts chapter 25, verses 6 through 12. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and uh, ordered Paul to be brought. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing uh, many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to go up, uh, wishing to do Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing in their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. And then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. And uh, history bears out a couple of different uh, historians believe either he was actually killed by Caesar or was later killed in another similar context. But Paul never bore the sword. But he did do something that I think is consistent with some of these ideas that, that we've presented with Thomas Aquinas and Martin Luther, is that he used... The, the law to his advantage in a lot of ways. Um, notice what he did. He, he didn't fight against them. He didn't ask a bunch of people to um, you know, take up arms against the Jews, take up arms against the Romans, but instead uh, used the thing that he was allowed to have, his, his kind of ticket out of that context and into one where maybe somebody would be divorced from, from the issues between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, he used his, his power as a Roman citizen to appeal uh, this case before Caesar, and so in hope that maybe he would be let go. And that's what uh, is different than, uh, you know, maybe some of the ideas that we have, again, uh, with as it relates to Romans chapter 13. Some of the ideas that surround Romans chapter 13 is that the government has total authority and total right to do these things, but we know that can't be the case, um, that, that sometimes we have to appeal to authority. And as it relates to Paul's reality and Paul's uh, belief and exceptions, you know, I don't know that, that you get that from his writing. I don't know that you get exceptions uh, to these things. Um, but simply he used the context in, in which he was uh, living to, uh, to try and benefit himself. Other thoughts on it? I certainly don't think we can say that it's unjust in our own eyes, but that which comes naturally to man, that, that a universal principle within ourselves, that an unjust law is one that would not be followed. For instance, the binding of other human beings uh, in a way, in, in, you know, I mean, slavery certainly wasn't a, a just thing, but it was allowed. It was a law. And many people were uh, active in, in trying to free slaves. Now, would they be sinning? Would they be violating this principle in Romans 13, or would they be saying that that is an unjust law that shouldn't have been followed, that all humans should be treated with dignity? Now, certainly we know that Scripture teaches that, um, and especially in Romans, at the very beginning of Romans, that there were many who were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so if we view a law as, as wrong in our own eyes, then that's not um, a, you know, a justified reason, but it has to be one of those that is universal to us. In the same instance... Uh, think about the context of, of how we prosecuted uh, 
Nazis at the end of World War II. Now, each government, theoretically, if you take Romans at, uh, at the, the face value that many do, that government has all authority, then what they did, theoretically, would not be wrong, correct? Because it's a government. The government was choosing uh, to act in that way. But we know that there are principles that are universal to us, that you shouldn't treat humans with indignity, that you shouldn't just because of the, the I don't know, who they were born into, what families they were born into, what they look like, that they don't deserve just some kind of death. And the reason we were able to prosecute uh, many of those people was because of that universal natural law that is within man uh, to be able to do that. So we know that, that the way of man is not in himself, but God has put on every person, it says that at the beginning of Romans, God has put in every person a universal principle of right and wrong. We all bear his image, and as part of that, we understand that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. Daniel, do you have something you wanted to say? Caleb.
Roberta. Mm-hmm. I don't believe any faithful Christian thinks it's his duty to obey unjust laws that apply to say this is what God says. Right. Peter said it's just better to obey God's command and decide, but we're going to have to do what Jesus says. I mean, if the law passes up, if the government passes a law that would cause me to do something that is in contradiction to the word of God, I'm not going to follow that law. I'm not going to follow it. That's the natural limitation. And I will accept religious laws that you want to. I will accept whatever punishment comes along with it. If I am told that I can't do something God says I must do, then I will break that law. And if that means I have to go to prison or if that means that I forfeit my natural life, then I'm willing to do that. And I am not going to take up physical arms to resist it. There is no New Testament precedent for that whatsoever. Right. And for those of you that weren't able to hear Brother Ote, what he said is exactly correct, that uh, within Scripture we don't have any precedence for um, taking up arms when something is unjust. In fact, um, what Paul went through was, uh, was passivity as it related to it because he would accept whatever punishment that would be given to him even if it was unjust uh, because ultimately God is the one who will uh, bring justice, and it says that there in, in Romans chapter 13. Uh, and, and as an issue, there's nothing in Scripture that ever gives us the right to do that, but in fact it's to accept whatever unjust punishment may come, uh, make our appeals, but also uh, you know, we never have the right as Christians to, to uh, take up arms. Now, um, that brings us to the third question that I think has to be addressed in this issue is it's clear that the Old Testament, uh, God authorized um, capital punishment and the death penalty. Um, Theoretically, under Paul's statement in Romans chapter 13, uh, governments are still allowed to do it. But the real question is, what is the Christian perspective on capital punishment? Meaning, and I think the, the way to frame it is, should we advocate for the death penalty in Scripture? Should we advocate for it? Is that that's the the answer to the Christian ethic? Uh, look over in Matthew chapter five and verse thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Matthew chapter five. Verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
Give to the one who begs of you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Um, how does this align with Romans 13 as it relates to the Christian perspective? Uh, the command that Christ, of course, issued at the end of Matthew chapter 28 is to uh, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. Christ here commanding when something bad happens to you, when somebody does something evil to you, uh, retaliation is not what Christ authorizes. It's not what God authorizes. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, if anything, I think Christ is saying maybe that's not the stance that we should take as Christians in advocating. In advocating, so we're, we're saying something different. It's different than is the government allowed to do. It's different than saying is it just in certain circumstances. Uh, it is whether our stance, whether Christians can actively stand in front of other people and say this is what God wants. This is exactly what I think should happen because Christ here clearly says retaliation isn't the answer. Uh, you see, the death penalty is an eye for an eye. I mean, somebody has done something so egregious that the only way for uh, the two to be made whole, for the situation to be made right, is to do the exact thing to him what has already been done to the victim. But Christ says, not with me, not in my kingdom. Uh, the right way to live is not to take up arms. Uh, the right way to live, it appears from this passage, is to allow the thing to happen in the same way that Paul did there at the end of uh, the book of Acts. Look over also at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whenever we're thinking of these uh, issues that, that surround our country, the thing that Christians must do is have a perspective that is consistent with the will of God, what God actually wants. Clearly here, Clearly here, God is not wishing that anyone would, would, would perish, but that all would come back to him. And so the, the natural question is, is if we advocate for somebody to die, is that going to be consistent with the will of God? Is that going to be consistent with Jesus' command to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you? If the person's dead, do we have the chance to do that? These are the things that we have to ask. Is this the perspective of God? Is this the thing that God wants? Comments? Other comments? 
So, um, what is that? We got about five minutes, ten minutes, none, no minutes. Doug is done. He's just he's wiped out. He's ready to preach. Um, but this is an important issue. Um, this is the thing that, that maybe you'll be faced with. You may get a jury summons one day for a capital case. It doesn't happen a lot here in Montgomery, but uh, maybe you move to another county, uh, another district, and it, it is an issue uh, that you will be faced. And someone's going to look at you in the eyes and say, can you support the death penalty? Can you uh, support this person being put to death? Uh, thank you so much. It was good being with you. God bless you.